It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week, we talk about sports topics of local interest. There's always a national topic we can bring up. we got a gambling segment. Most shows, we certainly have one this, this week with the Kentucky Derby on the horizon and my namesake running. Um, and the... <laughs> Favorite topic of, of the podcast for me, when you can ask me a question on anything, go to the Twitterverse, had a hashtag ask skinny anything. Rick compiles them. He asks them. I don't know ahead of time. It doesn't have to be sports. I love the more off the wall questions we get, the better because it's more fun, but it can be a sports question too. So I'll try to answer those for you as well. Rick, how are we doing as the weather finally turns from November, hopefully back to May, and then we'll suddenly hit July within a month. Yeah, a week, actually. Let's just hope we stay here for a couple of days. That would be nice. I know it'll be 102 yes. degrees yes. out next week, but uh, yeah, let's, let's hope Correct. we at least get a few days of 70s. Well, uh, Skinny, yes, last nice. week it was the draft preview episode. So this week is the draft recap episode. I know there's tons of draft content out there right now, but hopefully we can give you a few insights that you haven't heard yet. The draft took place over the weekend with the Bengals selecting eight new players. They took Clemson defensive end Miles Murphy with their first round pick, then followed up with two more defensive picks in the second and third rounds with Michigan cornerback DJ Turner the second and Alabama safety Jordan Battle. Let's start at the top. What did you think of the Miles Murphy pick? We talked a lot about where they were going to go with that first round selection over the last few weeks. They ended up going defensive end getting an edge rusher in Miles Murphy. What did you think of that? And before, let me say, like, don't pile in all your thoughts on all the other picks here. Cause I got sure. a question about those two. Let's just stick yeah. to Miles Murphy. No, that's fine. Um, I would have been interested if a corner was on the board that they had rated high. I mean, I don't know where they had Emmanuel Forbes. I got to imagine they had him pretty high and he went before that. Um, it was obvious that tight end was never in play for them. And, and the more, the closer we got to the draft, the more and more that felt like that was the right answer. I, I thought they might address it at some point, but they chose not to. And I'm more than fine with that. But the Miles Murphy pick on it, on its own merit, I, I like it. it. It's 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 good for numerous reasons. It gives you another rotational piece at end. Um, and and yeah, you know, I can say Joseph Osai can fit in that mix, but he's still very unproven. Um, and I'm hoping he makes another step forward this year, which gives you yet another rotational piece at end. Um, it then gives you the chance to tinker and move him maybe inside on pass rush situations um, as a three technique and give you some juice there, which you did not have last year. Um, that's where the loss of Larry Ogunjobi hurt. Uh, the fact that BJ Hill play so many snaps, I think, hurt him as well. Um, didn't have him quite as fresh. So I think it solved a lot of things from a rotational standpoint. But then, and we'll get to all these other picks, but I think with a lot of these other picks, it's also the preemptive strike. Last year was Dax Hill knowing Jesse Bates was gone. This time around, you do have Trey Hendrickson under contract for two more years, but he's at a 15 point something value for next year. It's in the 15 plus range, approaching $16 million that you can have in cap savings if you choose to move on from Trey Hendrickson. And I'm not here to shove Trey Hendrickson out the door, but again, you're going to have to find money to pay Joe Burrow, man. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to make some really tough decisions. And so I think this was short-term, great rotational piece. Long-term, potentially as early as 2024, he's a starting defensive end for you. Yeah, I think regardless of whether it's to replace Trey Hendrickson or just for the now, I think this was a spot where the Bengals could afford to upgrade and become yep. a little more, more dynamic when it comes to getting after the passer. We talked about it last week, and I said – my preference would be that they go defensive line up front. If they, if they have a guy that they value that highly, go and grab him. Because to me, especially with the turnover taking place in the secondary, you're going to have newer, younger safeties. You're going to have some changes at the cornerback positions. 
it'd be nice to give those guys a little bit more help up front by getting the quarterback more often and a little bit quicker and putting more pressure on the teams from that perspective. I think this is something that will really help Luana Rumo this year if Miles Murphy is able to make an early impact. And I don't know if that'll be the case, but watching him, I was confounded by some of the scouting reports I read because they seem to be a little all over the place when trying to pick out his flaws. Like I, I heard some of the things say, oh, he plays with an inconsistent motor. And then I you think see that's fair, though. But then you see all these clips of him chasing running backs down from behind, pursuing plays from the backside. And people are talking about, well, the great part about him is he's able to stay after plays and stay in it forever and and makes it so like, I guess maybe he just doesn't play consistently. But when he is at his best, it seems like he plays with a very high motor and is very good at those types of things. The one thing that that you, you see on tape immediately when you watch him is. He's just big and fast. He runs through a lot of stuff like guys trying to trying to hold him on the edge when he's trying to beat you on the edge. He just runs right through a lot of guys arms because he's bigger, faster, longer than they are. And I think that's something that that works well at the NFL. He's not like explosive like Javon curse was, but he kind of has that similar like I'm just going to run right through your arms as you're trying to block me mentality. And he, he seems like that type of athlete that he might be able to get away with that a lot. Skinny, you mentioned the Bengals' plans on the offensive side of the ball in terms of like drafting a tight end or or what this means. What do you think this says about their plans? Because they, they didn't go after tight end early. They didn't go after running back early. A lot of people were discussing those the potential of selecting those two positions. Um, the fact that they loaded up on defense with all of their first three picks do you think that says something about how much money they plan to spend on re-signing some of these offensive pieces? And I say that like, obviously, we know they're trying to get Joe Burrow. Obviously, we know they're going to try to get Jamar Chase. But do you think this lends credence to the idea that hey, they're definitely going to to get as many of these guys as they can, including multiple receivers? Yes. And, and so you've had over the last, well, since the Joe Burrow draft. You had Joe Burrow on a rookie contract, T. Higgins on a rookie contract, and Jamar Chase still on a rookie contract. So you, you've, you've had that luxury of those guys being on a rookie contract to allow you to go out and do some things in free agency on defense. Well, now the Bills come due on the other side of the ball. Now Joe Burrow is going to be out of his rookie contract, and T is going to be out, and Jamar's one year removed from being out of his rookie contract. And so you're going to attempt to pay those guys that you consider premium guys. I, I think it's clear they, they consider four positions premium positions, and they're not alone. And maybe you can throw left tackle in the mix. I think they, they proved that by going and getting Orlando Brown. But quarterback, receiver, corner, and, and defensive end are premium positions. And those are the positions they, they attacked in this draft um, and, and, have, and have been willing to pay. They paid Trey Hendrickson. They paid Jadobi Wuzier. They, they're going to pay Joe Burrow. They're going to pay Jamar Chase. And I think, I think they're going to pay T. Higgins, too. So I think that, hey, you can't pay them all. So you you did the thing on defense by paying because you had a bunch of rookie contracts on that side of the ball, the offensive side. Well, bills come due, and you're going to have to pay for that bill somehow, some way. And, well, you know how you're going to pay for it? Jadobi's gone after this year as a free agent. You can get out from under Trey Hendrickson if you need to and want to uh, after this season. And you have guys in the pipeline you are hoping because they're premium draft picks and you pick them high that they're ready to slide into starting roles as early as 2024. So, yeah, I think that's that's exactly what that signifies, yes. This is how it's supposed to work. Yes. And you have this thing rolling and you're making the right picks and you've got a franchise that's competent. This is how it's supposed to work. You get the quarterback in place. You put some of the pieces around him 
And and when those once you get those right, you get the draft selections right on one side of the ball, then you pay those guys. And you try to figure it out with cheaper guys, younger guys on the other side of the ball. The Bengals have done that to perfection here. And that's why this draft was, in a lot of ways, so much fun to watch from a fan's perspective. Because we talked about it a lot before the draft. There were no glaring holes that the Bengals had to address. There were a lot of things that you could see them potentially doing. But at the end of the day, it felt like most of their options were going to look pretty good on paper and feel like they were probably doing the right thing. I felt like the way they they handled this draft was almost ideal for them. This is exactly what I wanted to see them do, and I imagine it was probably pretty ideal for what they wanted. Do you think that they would have liked to see a tight end or uh, or p- potentially maybe a running back even that they, they valued higher when they were selecting in the second or third round maybe, or maybe even with that first round pick? So the one that's the most interesting for me in that regard, and I'll get to the tight end in a second, I don't think they'd have done this because I don't think it is a premium position. I think every team in the NFL now realizes running back is not a premium position, even though two, two guys went in the first round. I I am interested to surmise because his name, Brian Callahan literally named him by name um, during the chase Brown uh, post draft press conference that we had with, with him. He mentioned Jameer Gibbs by name. (laughs) I mean, so it sounds like he was at least in their mindset. I don't know if they'd have pulled the trigger in the first round on him. I sincerely doubt that they would have, but obviously they thought a lot of Jameer Gibbs for sure. But no, I, I, I think it just is a proof that listen, Chase Brown was a really productive player in college and I could honestly see him coming in here. And if you decide to move on from Joe Mixon, he becomes your featured back um, as, as early as right now. I mean, cause he's got, you know, the, one of the questions is, can he pass block? They think he can, but there's not a lot of tape on it. Um, but if he can't, okay, so that's 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 your Joe Mixon. I just think that's where that position is right now, Rick. It's just not premium. There's a lot of those guys out there. It, it, it felt like that was about the round, fourth or fifth round, where they were going to select the running back in this draft, and lo and behold, it became the fifth round. So, um, yeah, that to me was was that. And, and, and to the tight end portion of the program, I asked Zach Taylor about that too. I said, you know, it was just a matter because I said you said before the draft you liked the room, and I believe that. I said, but this is also a matter of kind of the board just never fell your way. And he pretty much said as much that I, I wouldn't have shocked me if they had pulled the trigger in the fifth or the sixth, maybe not even the third. But I, I go back to, listen, again, it's just not a premium position in this offense. You're looking to replace 50 catches in 400 yards. If Irv Smith is what we think is he is, he can get you that. Did you really need something? And I know it's Boy, if Michael Merrill was in this offense, it's unstoppable. It's already semi-unstoppable. And the tight end isn't a focal point. Number one's a focal point. Number five, which is T. Higgins' number, is a focal point. And the third focal point is 83. The tight end is the afterthought. Do you really need to waste a first-round pick on an afterthought? Yeah, I mean, I think some people are thinking with that, if you really upgrade the tight end, then maybe it's not an afterthought in the future, especially if you're you're going to lose. And why am I going to pay for Jamar Chase and T. Higgins then? Right, right. right. And and that's fair. I mean, the thing is, if you have a young guy on a rookie contract, you wouldn't necessarily have to be paying him the same amount as you're paying those guys. So now you have three stud weapons again. Like, I I get the idea of wanting a really good tight end. I think especially when you look at some of the really good teams we've seen lately, again, go back to the Chiefs with Kelsey. You can you can go back to Brady and Gronk. I mean, a lot of the recent I, I don't want to say dynasties, but really strong teams that have had some staying power have had a top tight end. So I think that's that's understandable that people are interested in it and would like that for the Bengals. 
But I also think that they made the right decision here for exactly the reasons that you're pointing to. It's not a necessity in this offense. They've already proven that. We've already proven that Joe Burrow can make any tight end, basically any plug and play tight end serviceable. He got CJ Uzama and Hayden Hurst paid, man. Right, exactly. And he's going to do the same thing with Irv Smith as long as he stays healthy. I can guarantee you that yes, Irv Smith yes. will have a solid year. Yes. He'll look better than everyone expected as long as he's healthy and he'll move on at the end of next year because that's what you do on these one-year prove-it deals. And that's exactly what the Bengals should do. If the opportunity presents itself in the future to get a talented tight end, I'm sure they'll do so, but there was no reason for them to reach. And I did find it interesting. I saw a tweet earlier today, and I'll admit, I, I have not looked into this. I don't even know what the believe Bengals podcast is, but uh, I saw. I think, someone... a, I think that's the Solomon Wilcox, uh, Pac-Man Jones one. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, then that that would seem pretty legit. Uh, I saw the tweet earlier. This was from Ace Boogie at New Stripe City on Twitter. Uh, he said, "Coach Taylor just admitted on the Believe Bengals pod that the Bengals had Kincaid and Laporta as their top two tight ends." So I have no idea if that's true, uh, but if Zach Taylor actually said that on the Believe podcast, then that's that's at least interesting to know that it sounds like they probably didn't have Mayer right. on their board at, at right. really any point. So I, that was really my only question is if it had fallen differently and you know maybe one of their top tight end options were there in the second round, would they have gone there instead of DJ Turner? And I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I would have liked that better. I, I happen to really like the DJ Turner pick. I think that was a, that was a great selection. Agreed. Agreed. Because his name was talked about before the draft in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's why I asked the question of, of was it kind of the board didn't fall that way? And I, I you know, that's where when you get in those fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, I, I think if you stay true to your board, you don't go, hey, boy, we need to we need to find a tight end. And yeah, he's the 23rd guy we got available at the moment. Let's go that and, no, I mean, if it's the sixth round, if it's the wide receiver from Princeton who's an athletic freak that you've got rated higher, um, then then you go that route. And so that's I, I I think they very much stayed true to their board the whole way through. See, and that's what I love about that pick, the the wide receiver from Princeton. It that is a reach pick. And it it's is. a pick that might sure. have a lot of upside. I like it. It's fun, it's exciting. It's like, oh, this guy is tantalizing. What if he actually is the steal? The scratch off draft? lottery ticket. But you took him late in the draft. Early in the draft, there were no reaches. And like Jameer Gibbs obviously comes from a big time program and uh, he did a lot of great things and he may be a stud, but I'd much just rather have the super fast cornerback with all the athleticism from Michigan than the home run hitting third down swing pass catching running back in the in the second round. You know, like to me, to me, I just I just felt like the Bengals went with the solid name brand stud athlete type of guys at the top of the draft. And then if they wanted to get a little more cute with some of the offensive pieces and start reaching later, they did that later, but there was no like John Ross type picks here Correct. at the top of this draft. And I love that about the way they, they handled this draft. I mean, listen, dude, I, I know people scratch their head a little bit about Cam Taylor Britt last year. How important did that cat turn out to be? Right. I yep. mean, that was huge. And DJ Turner is literally in my opinion, because I, the, the other outside corner backup is, is, is a okay guy. He started games in the league, but he's a veteran journeyman, Sidney Jones. He has no more upside. He's Sidney Jones, veteran journeyman. I mean, DJ Turner has all the upside in the world that you're one injury away from one of those corners of him sliding in there and playing. And so how important might that pick turn out to be? Yeah, like I love valuing speed going after one of the fastest guys in the draft, but I like it when you do it with a guy who is very productive and comes from a big time program that won a lot of games and that people have ranked highly. You can go after those eye popping athleticism numbers and the weight room warriors, the guys who perform really good at the combines. 
go after the guys who are actually talented and established and and came from big time programs when you do that. That's what the Bengals did here. And that's what I really liked about it. One more quick thing on the running back situation. We've talked about it a lot here on this podcast, but at this point, should we assume that the plan for Joe Mixon is to get him back on a renegotiated deal and go forward with him as the starting running back for next year? I'm assuming nothing at this point. I, I think your your question is a good one. And I kind of wrote about that, uh, about the running back room, whatever it was, two days ago. And I surmise that that's exactly what's going to take place. But then it also would be, well, if if he doesn't take that, then what do you do with that? Do you quickly move on? I, I honestly, I, Rick, I, I mean, it's still a possibility that they cut him all together and bring in a veteran. I mean, that's also possible. There, there's so many. I mean, do you break, do you find a change of pace veteran out there that uh, Chase Brown is your number one guy right now and you bring in change of pace guy and they, they're very high on Travion Williams. And that, that's not a joke. I think they're very high on Travion. Travion just been stuck behind people when he's gotten a chance. He's been really productive. I talked to him the other day about, Pass blocking. I said, you know, we, I haven't really seen it because you haven't been in games to do it much. And he goes, and he's a really good dude. He goes, bro, I tell people all the time, ask me, like, go watch a tape, go watch me on the tape. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, and so I, I think he's part of that mix. Chris Evans, probably a little bit lesser, but maybe he finds his niche finally as a. No, no. As one a, thing we absolutely are certain <laughs> of is they are not going to play Chris Evans. Probably I can not. guarantee that's, you that. Probably, that, that there's no way that man could show you anything else in I'm flashes that you would need to see him play. He, they yeah. obviously have no intention of playing. No, that's that. probably, probably fair. So yeah, I'm assuming nothing. I, I guess the only thing I'm assuming is that Joe Mixon's not back on the current deal he's on, but I don't even know why I assume that. I mean, maybe they Never say, you know what? <laughs> we're going to honor that contract at least for this year and then we'll get out from under it, but we're going to honor it as it stands. I, yeah, just, I mean, I they might be, be a little afraid he's going to pistol whip them. Well, maybe, maybe there's that too. I think that would be fiscally irresponsible because whatever little millions you can save here and there, even if it's rollover money, you better start doing that. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I loved the Chase Brown pick. In fact, that leads, that leads to my next question. I was going to ask you, what's your favorite pick of the draft? Chase Brown in the fifth round is that guy for me. I think if he was the option at, as your starting running back, or at least it's let's go into camp and say Travion Williams and Chase Brown are going to battle it out here to start the year. I, I honestly wouldn't feel that concerned. I wouldn't either. And then again, there's there's so many veterans floating around. I mean, uh, you know, do you get a, a sledgehammer pass blocker to do the Samaj AP Ryan role? Or do you find the change of pace? a third down back. I mean, hell, we, we were talking about this too. You know, if, if you really were desperate on third down where you're like, gosh, we got nobody on our roster that can pass block on third down. Well, you know what, then go forward wide and put Drew Sample in the backfield, let him block. And he's your check down guy coming out of the backfield. I mean, honestly, I, I can go with that too. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. The, the, the two that I, I thought were the best were the chase Brown pick um, and the, and the Jordan battle pick. My favorite pick was the, was the six round receiver from Princeton, just because again, it's a scratch off lottery ticket with so much stinking upside. It's absurd. He's going to be this year's Auden Tate in camp. You can see it coming. He's going to make some spectacular play and we're all going to tweet about, Oh my gosh, look what this guy. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he's going to probably wind up on the practice squad being stashed there for a year. Cause you don't have room for him. I'm a hundred percent. I've pick. been, I've been thinking about that ever since they picked him up. I cannot wait to the first day at training camp oh, when happening. all 12 of you sent out the same tweet within 30 seconds Hell, of dude, each other because he made a one-handed catch in the back of the end zone. Hell, it might happen on air here when they hit the hit the practice field in a couple of weeks during OTAs when they're doing nothing other than just lining up and running plays against nobody. Exactly. No, so so who else did you say? You said the, the uh, Jordan, Jordan Battle. Okay, and, Jordan Battle. Yeah, What what? take us through that pick because that was one where it felt like Reading through the expert analysis after the drafts, 
a lot of people really liked that pick. A, he's very productive um, from a big time program. So that, that that's a, that's for starters. The other part is, and I know this is where I, I had knuckleheads tweeting at me. What, what, what are they doing? What about Dax Hill and Nick Scott? What about them? Dax Hill has zero NFL starts. We have all the high hope in the world. They drafted him in the first round for a reason. They believe in Dax Hill. So that part, I just want to push to the side, but he still has zero NFL starts. Nick Scott, you signed as a free agent just to make sure you got another starting caliber player in here. But Nick Scott has got one full-time season of starting under his belt. And you go, well, okay, but those are two. Okay, those are two guys. Behind them are Tyson. like a body, right? Behind them are Tyson. Yeah, right. Behind them are Tyson Anderson. How many games has Tyson Anderson played in the NFL, Rick? Zero. That'd be zero. He was on injured reserve all last year as a fifth-round pick. And then Michael Thomas, who... It once was a pretty good safety in this league, but Michael's older and, and his best value served as a special teams player and really a locker room culture fit. So you needed another athletic body at that position and you got him in the third round. Yeah. And it seems like a guy that most people had graded higher than where he was yes. taken. I mean, a guy who but started basically his entire career at Alabama and was really productive. And most people thought I live another really athletic guy. I, I mean, I, for a secondary that's in transition and needs an upgrade in talent, I thought they did great going Turner and battle back-to-back picks like that. I was ecstatic about the way that fell. I couldn't believe fans were upset about the Jordan battle pick, but then of course you turn around and like the next two days, all the experts were praising that pick. So not well, that the experts know anything either, but it's just, it was interesting to see the way that played out. Yeah. I, I will say, and, and again, I think this is where the whole, the fan base was so enamored with tight end, not all the fan base, but a chunk of it was so enamored of the tight end. Um, don't forget the Bengals traded back three picks to be able to get the six extra six round pick. And in between where they traded back from Darnell Washington, it was everybody in love with him. The tight end from Georgia got taken by Pittsburgh. It'll be pretty interesting to see how that plays out as their careers move along. But again, I'm pro the Jordan battle pick times a thousand. Cause here's the thing I think gets taken for granted a little bit was the durability of Jesse Bates and Von Bell. I mean, those dudes literally played almost every snap last year at safety, right? In this league, no matter what position group you're at, you can't count on that. So again, right now, if either Nick Scott, who you expect to start the year, and certainly Dax Hill, if they go down, do I feel better about a third-round guy who people really loved, and this is no knock on Tyson Anderson, or a fifth-round guy who was on injured reserve last year? Which one do you feel better about at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go with the former. Yeah. But uh, here, here's the other thing. It wouldn't about- shock me if Jordan Battle A, doesn't win a starting spot in camp, or at the very least, at some point during the season, slides into a starting role. Right, right. I think he's going to be right in the mix from day one. And and even if he's not, that's fine. Like you said, they need depth and they need to start stockpiling for the future in the secondary. Um, the Darnell Washington one is interesting to me because on one hand, he's six, seven, 280 Freak. pounds or what he, whatever. I mean, it's it's fascinating to see him on the field and think about, oh, what he could possibly do at the next level. But he's also more of a, a blocking tight end and not exactly the most fleet of foot guy that you're going to split out wide and throw the ball to in a Joe Burrow-esque offense. I just don't think he was a fit for the Bengals. He may end up being great. I just don't think that made a lot of sense for the Bengals. If they they wanted a big-time tight end, I think they needed to go after one of the other guys that were more fleet of foot and a pass catcher, and you can go five wide, split them out, all that type of stuff. I don't think Darnell Washington was the guy for the Bengals. Well, well, and that does bring up another question, maybe not just the five wide, Rick, but um, you know, we're talking about the whole receiving circumstance. If you really wanted to open things up on some situations and you're this high on Charlie Jones, the wide receiver, 
I mean, there's nothing saying you can't go four wide this year and have no tight end on the field at times. True. Well, that's the uh, fourth round pick from Purdue, Charlie Jones, you're talking yes. about. Uh, I thought that was an interesting pick, too. Do you think that's a, that's a guy that they like to be returning kicks as much as anything sure. coming into this year? Yeah, I, th- I think, again, the short term for Charlie Jones is more. And again, th- that was a little bit of one that scratched my head a little bit because I know he was in a crappy offense at Iowa. Um, and the numbers as a receiver weren't overly productive two years ago before he transferred to Purdue and then blew up this past year. Um, so that leaves me scratching my head. Of, was this just a one-year wonder in a crazy pass first, second, third, fifth, seventh, ninth offense? Because that's all producing to do is sling right. it around 55 times a game and somebody had to catch balls. But I also think this is certainly a more dynamic fourth receiver piece that you have, a more dynamic punt return piece than you've had in Trent Taylor. So I think he checks those boxes in the short term, and then he just feels like he is going to be the perfect slot replacement for Tyler Boyd. So again, there's another preemptive strike of Tyler Boyd's a free agent after this year. Charlie Jones is a nice fourth receiver for this year that they think can play a little bit inside and out. But really, his body type projects way more as a slot receiver. Voila, there's your slot replacement in 2024. Yeah, oh, it was funny too, because the people who like Charlie Jones they really like Charlie Jones. I mean, they were throwing around all the hallowed white receiver names in the NFL when making comparisons. I heard Wes Welker. I heard Jordy oh, Nelson. Sure. I heard ah. Danny Amendola. I heard Cole Beasley. I heard Julian Edelman. It was, was like, saying, holy get, crap. Yeah. Yeah. The only, only thing we needed for the stereotype was he's a son of a coach. Yeah. Yeah, That's all yeah. We needed. yeah. High IQ player. Pretty yep. tough. Uh, all, all of those things. So, I asked you about your favorite pick of the draft. You might have just given us your least favorite pick there with Charlie Jones, or at least the most head-scratching pick. Is there another one that made your eyebrows raise? Like, huh, a little surprised not, about that one. Not not raise. I just – and I, I get why they did it, and I thought Darren Simmons' explanation was fine. I just I just don't know about drafting a punter. I just don't. That's fair. I know there was a run on punters after they take took Brad Robbins, so obviously that signified something that – you know, there, maybe there weren't going to be enough UDFA punters available, but it always seems like there's veteran punters floating around that you can bring in for competition. Or maybe, again, I, I think they had a plan of purpose in that third round where they traded back the couple of spots, knew they were still going to get Jordan Battle, picked up that extra six-round pick, which then gave them the luxury of taking punters. So I don't want to say eyebrow raising. I'm just not in the draft of punter camp guy. I would agree with you, although I did like that they pointed out he was the holder for the best kicker in college football last year, which that, again, no, probably that, that was a factor. Yes. yes. Probably very meaningless, but I like the fact that they were just like, look, we, we want, we want to make sure money Mac is back on track. Everything's perfect with him. Let's get a guy who's an expert holder. I th- like that sounds silly, but I actually like that. They said that even if it was untrue, I just like it. And look, th- th- there is no guarantee he wins the job. I mean, let's, I mean, they brought Jake Elliott in here as a draft pick a few years ago to face off against Randy Bullock of all people. And then Randy beat him out in camp. Um, actually, I'm finishing up a story today. I talked to Drew at Christmas on Monday and Drew talked about how he thought the competition with Kevin Huber made him better. And he thinks this competition will make him even better. And I think that's a good way to look at it. If, it, if it's him, I mean, he's got the leg. That part's not even in question. It's a matter of he needs to work on hang time, which Brad Robbins is noted for. And he work, needs to work on directional punting, which cost them in that AFC championship game. So if it makes Drew Chrisman a better punter and he wins, well, so be it. And at the end of the day, while I'm not thrilled about taking a punter in a draft, it's a six round pick. I'm going to live with it. It was worth it was worth it was worth the take, I guess, if that's the case. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Once you get to that point, 
I don't really care that much what you're doing with your draft no. picks. It's, like, it's always great if you find something, but I really don't care if I'm being right. honest. I It's hard for me to get upset about anything they do after the fifth round. Um, I'll go potential ahead. That the, the, the two six-round guys and a seventh-round guy don't make this team. That's potential. Robbins gets beat out by Chrisman. Um, uh, Yoshivash becomes a, a, a special team stash in, in the seventh-round corner who's had a very inconsistent career at Miami but very athletic. He becomes a stash on the practice squad. Fine with that. That's all yeah. good. That's all well and good. Now that, that's typically the case with those selections. Yep. There's a lot of times they they won't make the team. Skinny, looking at all the lead up to the draft, and this has become such just an absurd machine. I know people make fun of it online, everything, all the draft coverage and the mock drafts and the lead up to it. My thing has been, I don't really care at all for the lead up. I think that gets pretty nonsensical. And like, I'm not never going to be one of these guys who become an expert on all the college football players that are coming out that are going to become draft picks in a month right before the NFL draft, like a lot of these local media members do. I think that is pretty comical personally. But I do actually like draft day coverage. Like I love the local, the fact that they do, you know, Mo had a show locally somewhere from like three to six. And then they did two more shows as the draft was going on somewhere. And the different podcasts had live shows locally. Like I think that stuff is cool. I think it's interesting content. I enjoy, obviously it's a huge part of the NFL and how you make your team. So it is fun to go through all that coverage and all the analysis after the fact. But I did think it was funny that afterwards I saw this report on how the mock drafters did, the experts. We're talking Mel Kuyper Jr., Pete Prisco, Peter King, Peter Schrager, Todd McShay, and Daniel Jeremiah. I don't know if you saw this, Skinny, but do you know how many, the leader out of that group, how many draft picks they got right in the first round? For the, for the exact slot of where a guy was taken? Yeah, out of 31, how many do you think the leader got right? I'll say five. It was actually six by Daniel Jeremiah. Okay. I can, because here, here, here's the thing that that's where it goes. I, and again, mock drafts are fun. There, there's two parts that I'll bring up to Rick with mock drafts. Cause I do them myself. It's kind of a necessary evil of the job I do. Um, and I don't mind them. I, I don't do them as crazily as I used to, because um, sometimes you're doing the mock draft of what you think a team should do rather than what the team is going to do. Right. And the other part is, as we saw very early in this draft, you know, you two quarterbacks went off the board. That was not surprising. And then voila, here comes the trade for Will Anderson. And then and then Anthony Richardson gets taken. And now things are sideways very quickly. And then all it takes is another sideways pick or two. And it goes even more sideways. So I, I think that's that's what in defense of those guys, that's so hard to project that. Um, I think it would be fun to see if guys could do literally mock drafts on the clock themselves for that first round and then see how they did. Yeah, but. Isn't that kind of the point here with this whole draft lead up is that it is something that's happening live and in the moment. And we spend so much time worried about what these guys are, are saying beforehand. It's like they the best guy got six right after right. that. Todd McShay got four. Peter Schrager got two. Peter King got two. Pete Prisco got two. Mel Kuyper Jr. got one right out of the first 31 picks. I'm not saying. And, dude, that's, that, the, 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 and the funny part to that is you you literally could have gotten number one without batting an eyelash right <laughs> i mean i mean so, i guess you could have thought about going a separate direction with the bryce young pick but that felt the safe one all along despite the will levis reddit chatter that, that that came along and hopefully didn't cost somebody a pretty penny yeah and um, that's not to crush these guys or say mel no, no, no. is an idiot who doesn't yeah. know what he's talking about my point is 
that even with all these guys connections and all the information they have and all the time they spend year round on this stuff. I mean, a lot of these guys that we're talking about are really into this nonstop, constantly thinking about what they're going to do for the draft in the next year. And yet they're not even coming close to knowing what's going to happen or getting this stuff right. I just think like the lead up to the draft is silly. I don't know what, like it's, ridiculous that we read well, all these guys and you, listen you, to them 150 times in the month or two leading up. It's it's just ridiculous. You can say that, but it does stir the pot of interest right or wrong. It just, 100%. It's just, it's just crazy it. that fans care that much about what these guys have to say when it's like proven year after year. They have no clue what's going to happen. No, I that, that's where I, 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 I like Dane Brugler's guide and Dane does mock drafts too. And I did not look to see what Dane, how his stuff went, but I, 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 I like his information and I use it a ton in the stuff I do. So I do appreciate that in the run up to the draft. I just think there's probably a way to, to do this coverage. That's not just, here's another mock draft of what I think's going to happen. Cause you can't get that right. It's been proven. You guys suck at it. Like you're never going to get the mock draft, right? Why don't you just give us better information or present that for that, that, content in a different way other than mock drafts and the answer is because well it's clickbaity and everyone likes to click sure. on the word mock draft so they're going to keep doing it for the seo clip. well they like, and they like to see your mock draft and go that's that, that's stupid yeah okay that's fine and by the way i'm I'm good on listening to uh todd mcshay and mel kuyper argue on set like i'm <laughs> good on that it's pretty good todd 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 todd, todd. Oh, i just like him because you hate him so much i don't hate him you hate him it's like guys shut up Seriously, I will say I will say Mel was all in on Will Levis, and if Will Levis yep. is successful, we're not going to hear the end of that. No doubt. All right, Skinny, I, coming out of the draft, another funny thing that I saw was a certain team's position group. I'm going to start reading the names for this team's position room, and I want you to guess who it is, okay? Mm-hmm. Jacob Copeland, Kiaris Jackson, Treshawn Harrison, Colton Dowell, Mason Kinsey, Reggie Roberson, Racy McMath, Chris Moore, Kyle Phillips, Nick Westbrook Ikine. Yes. Traylon Burks. That is the secondary room of the Titans. You got the team right. The wide receiver room of the Titans. That is the wide receiver room of the Titans. I was thinking Kyle Phillips was a was a corner from Utah. Maybe it's a different Kyle Phillips. I think those are, yeah, I think there might be two Kyle Phillips, okay. uh, but moral of the story is, I don't know, I if you ran those names down to me, I would have not known a single one of those guys. Oh, Trey, Bur- Trey Burks, you would have. Trey Burks had a pretty good rookie year, especially I, I, the second half of last year. I'm not a fantasy football player. Okay. Trey Burks did not ring a bell to me. Yeah, fair enough. I, I would have not have known any of these guys were NFL wide receivers. Yeah, I was thinking there might be a second Trey Burks. That that should have been the easy giveaway of him as a receiver, but I was thinking Kyle Phillips more as a corner. This is um, the wide receivers that Will Levis is going to be throwing the ball to. Yeah, but here's the thing, and, and this is where, A, I don't think Will Levis is going to start from day one, so that's a great thing for Will Levis. The, the thing is, I can't say that the Colts did him a favor by passing on him because it went from, I think his slotted money there was 24 mil in his rookie deal to four mil where he is yeah, right now. That so doesn't that seem did. like a favor. But Anthony Richardson per crazy drunk owner, Jim Ursay is going to start from day one for the Colts, a Colts team. that's just not very good. Um, and you're going to throw him in there despite being as unpolished as he is. Good luck surviving that kid. Now, I agree that that's not going to be a good situation. I have very little faith in Anthony Richardson, to be honest with you. I do, too. I 
again, I hope it works out for him. It, you talk about a complete, hey, if they get that right, what a genius pick of a kid who just really struggled as a passer in college, but he's an athletic freak and they figure out a way to coach him up. I'm a big bull. I've said it. I'll stand by it. I think Will Levis is going to be a really good quarterback in this league. Well, fair enough. I, I, all I know is that receiver room is the worst I've ever seen in the NFL. Uh, Trey Burke's Trey Burke's pretty good. I don't know about the rest of them, but Trey Burke's is pretty good. Bro, I, that's still the worst receiver there. I, I can never think of another team that's had a wide receiver room where I didn't recognize any of the names. Everyone has one starter that you're like, oh, that's that guy. That's a fair point. I but mean, Traylon Burks, what, what, what percentage of casual NFL fans do you think know who Traylon Burks is? I'd say a chunk. I mean, there's, there's a over 50 percent, zero chance. Mm, OK, I don't know who he is. So there's no chance over 50 percent of NFL fans, the casual NFL fans know who Traylon Burks is. He was he was a freak in Arkansas. So there's there's some of that. So there's 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 part of SEC country that would know Trey Burks. But anyway, your point's well taken. It's not a it's not a, a, a great room for sure. You also, though, do have a, a certain number 22. You can hand it to 25 times a game. And they and they are apt to do that. I mean, that's yes. kind of their thing. But all right, let's let's move on here out of the draft talk. One more Bengals note to get to the Bengals lost backup quarterback Brandon Allen as he signed with the San Francisco 49ers on Wednesday. But. It didn't take long before they found his replacement. The team signed veteran journeyman Trevor Simeon to a one-year contract. Simeon was with the Bears in 2022. He's only played in nine games in the NFL since 2017. Skinny, are you comfortable with Trevor Simeon as the Bengals' backup quarterback? As comfortable as I would be with Brandon Allen or anybody else, probably. I mean, look. I know some people lost their minds of of this signing of oh you gotta get somebody better. A you can't afford it. I mean let's let's start right there, guys. You you got other stuff you're trying to pay for, so you're not going to sign a guy who's never, ever, never going to play, barring a Joe Burrow injury or a season wrapped up by week eighteen and Joe sits to rest for the playoffs. So let's let's start right there. You ain't wasting money on that spot for that thing, and then. Listen, if Joe Burrow goes down for a catastrophic long period of time, you're screwed anyway. All this guy is, is the placeholder. If Joe Burrow sprains an ankle in the second quarter of a game and can't go in the second half, you plug him in. And if Joe has to miss a game or two, he can get you through maybe at least one of those and win. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't. And Trevor Simeon's started games in this league. He's had some modicum of success. I'm fine with it. He's got a relationship with Brian Callahan. I'm fine with it. That's the biggest thing to me is I just want the the backup to have some level of comfortability within the system, within the coaching. staff. I want the coaching staff to have some level of confidence in the guy like, hey, I've worked with them. I know what he's capable of. And that's Brian Callahan and Trevor Simeon. They know each other. I think that's that's probably about as good as you're going to do for that position. And, and listen, I mean, most of the teams that somehow find a, a backup that's successful, and, and I've had people point to San Francisco and go, well, you know, they went, they did. Because Jimmy Garoppolo started last year as the backup. That was a pretty good place to start, right? I mean, well, yeah, you know, they got there because they didn't know who their starter was going to be for years and years. They were trying to figure that out. That's how they ended up in that situation. A a, a couple of things, though. But Jimmy was their backup after Trey Lance got hurt. And then they, listen, they lucked into Brock Purdy being successful. Let's face it. Brock Purdy was a seventh round pick. So there's a lot of teams that didn't think Brock Purdy was going to be successful. And their offense is not built around the quarterback. It's built around their running game, their offensive line, and their defense and the quarterback is kind of an afterthought. This Bengals offense is built around Joe Burrow. Um, you know, the only time that you're going to have a probably a backup quarterback that you're like, okay, that that guy, we're that if something happens, we got our guy. Um, is if you luck into a rookie who you really don't know about and suddenly he blossoms. Yeah, see Brock Brady, Brady, see Brady, comma Tom when Drew Bledsoe got hurt. 
Hey, got to throw the seven round pick in there. Don't know what we got. Voila, the guy shined. Kurt Warner when when Trent Green got hurt. They didn't know what they had in Kurt Warner, or they would have started Kurt Warner ahead of Trent Green. And voila, the unknown became great. Those stories are fun and, and great. But for the most part, the backup quarterback, there's a great saying this week. If you've got two quarterbacks, you ain't got any. Right. Well, and Brock Purdy's the, that exact example. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I that's that's exactly right. Would it, would it be great if the Bengals at some point were able to draft a backup for Joe Burrow late in a draft and he yes. turned into a yes. really productive NFL starter later down the line? Sure, that'd be wonderful. I don't think that's where we're at for one right now. Any guy who gets drafted now to sit behind Joe Burrow is probably just going to be with the Bengals. You know, they're going to be A.J. McCarron for a couple of years, sitting yes. on a bench and then moving on to try to jumpstart his career somewhere else more than likely. So I just don't think it's something to really spend any time worrying about because exactly. as you said, for the most part, if Joe Burrow goes down, the Bengals are screwed. Yes. The Bengals are screwed. I mean, again, I understand the idea of, okay, if he's gone for two or three games, you hope you have a guy who can win you one or two of them. I think Trevor Simeon is probably capable of that in yes. the right scenario. So, all right, let's move on. Uh, the Reds, Skinny. The Reds were four and three since we last talked. They're 13 and 18 overall and in fourth place in the NL Central, seven games back of first place, the, the Pirates, believe it or not. The Cardinals have really tanked, losing eight of their last 10 to fall into last place. The Reds at one point last week, Skinny, were on a five game winning streak. So I'll ask you, has this team shown you anything over the last week plus that's given you some more hope? Not really. The only thing that's been better is they kind of got the bullpen solidified to where if you look at those guys' numbers that are in the bullpen right now, that's been a pretty good group here of late. Yeah, they're like middle of the pack all of a sudden in most of their stats. Maybe yeah. a little better than that in some no, cases. Right. I mean, it's it's not the whole bullpen door swings open. What the hell are you going to get? There's some guys having – look, we all knew Diaz is a, is a real deal. Getting Lucas Sims, I think, back up helps a lot. Yeah, definitely. helped a lot. Um, I, I love the step forward that Graham Ashcraft has made. Um. I'm not as alarmed by Nick Lodolo, but he needs to get the ship righted a little bit here. Moving, I, I mean, he was so dominant for the first few starts. You're like, damn, that's top of the, but I, but again, this is part of the maturation process. The thing that I just don't know what's going to get fixed is the offense is just so bad. I just don't know how it gets better. Back in the baseball cards, these guys don't suggest it's going to get better. Just no power too. I mean, there's None. not a guy in that lineup that scares you. How, no. Let me ask you, how many times are the Reds going to trot out Luis Sessa? <laughs> it can't be many more times, but I just don't know what's behind him. I, I thought Chase Anderson may have a chance to come back up at some point. They dealt him to Tampa. Not that I mean, it would have mattered, mind you, but. No, it doesn't matter. But like, I th- talked about the, the bullpen thing. here. They're not going to have a bullpen if they keep running Luis Sessa well, out there. And that's the thing. I think Luis Sessa, honestly, would be another boost to your bullpen if you can get somebody and put somebody back in the rotation and play Sam. Yeah, I, well, I think that's the best spot for him. He's clearly not worth anything yeah. as a starter and is just taxing your bullpen. So yes. make him the long relief guy that you throw out there in mop-up duty when you have a game like he keeps getting you into where you have to cover five, six, seven innings with the, the bullpen. Um, I will I will say, I, and, and, and again, I, I this team is just bleh to me, but I, I will give them this for a team that is bleh. Um, the way they won some of those games in the Texas series, you know, gutting out the win over, over San Diego the other night, the extra inning win and yeah. um, what Diaz did in, in that one. I, I mean, credit to those guys. Cause I, I think it, it really is when, when you come off the year you came off of, and I know they all had talked about high hopes and things are going to be better when you get slapped in the face at seven and 15, it would have been easy for this team to go totally South and it still can, it's still the possibility. Cause this offense, I just don't know how it ever gets jump started. I really don't. Um, 
but you know, I, I think to their credit, give give them credit for that week that was. I don't think you're going to have many weeks like a five and one week. I just don't. Totally agree. And you were right about last week. Those were some fun games. They were some impressive comebacks. That was good baseball. But here's my problem with all of it. 90 and 141. That's the Reds record in March and April since 2014. It's the worst record in Major League Baseball. The problem with that is you can't even enjoy those little glimmers of hope like we had last week when they won five in a row early in the season with fun come from behind wins because they're mostly meaningless. That's exactly right. After year, it's a bad team that's already played themselves out of contention by the time April is over. And that's what sucks. At least for me, I can't even play into the illusion of it anymore. Like last week, you're right. I, I was sitting there. I had the games on. How we were talking on the phone during one of them when they're making the comeback win. And it's like, yep. you know, you're just lifeless watching. It's like, oh, that, that's a nice win. But you just know it leads to absolutely nothing because they're already out of it. And they don't have it. Like, had they at least played good baseball in March to where you've got the illusion of, hey, they're in it for now. And they just had this really good week where they went five and one. Well, now you feel like, hell, what if? What if in July they're still in this thing? <laughs> But you don't even have that glimmer of hope. And we haven't had it for years and years and years at this point. It's been a decade of just having absolutely zero chance of competing by the time April's over. And that's why I sit up and pay attention with Lodolo Green and Ashcraft start. Because that's, right, that's all you got. Yep. It's all you got. What? One more quick thing. Are you buying back in on Nick Senzel? He's playing pretty well. Um, I'd like to give him a pass to see if he can get through a lot of this healthy and then see where the dust settles. I mean, that's probably a cop out on my part, but I think that's fair because we really have never seen what that looks like. It always feels like start, stop, start, stop, start, yeah. stop, stop, start, start. I mean, if he can stay healthy, I'd like to see what the numbers look like and then make a judgment. And that's again, that's probably a cop out on my part, but I think that's fair. No, I, I totally agree. Well, first of all, what else are you losing by not doing? I mean, no, what else correct. do you have to yeah, put out no, there? Who are Absolutely. you? Who is he holding back right now? Nobody. He's been a bright spot over the last 18 games since he came back from that rehab stint. He's, uh, tied for the team lead in homers with three, despite missing the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, almost a 900 OPS, I believe. By by the way, you know who he's tied with for the lead in homers? I do. Jason Vossler. I wrote a piece about that. They (laughs) He's not even on the team. Joe Luckup had a great stat that it's the the, the fact that those guys are tied with three homers is the fewest for a Reds team leader through 29 games since 1982, and that was a 100-loss team in 1982. When Johnny Bench, Dan Dreesen, and Paul Householder each had two through 29 games. And I wrote it to the vein of the two guys tied are a guy that was designated for assignment, uh, you know, 10 days or so ago. And a guy who didn't even start a season until mid-April coming off the IL. That that tells you about the lack of a, the Tyler Stevenson thing is just freaking me out. I don't get it. I totally think it's a result of the stupid Viking celebration that they're doing. It's bad karma. They jinxed themselves right at the beginning of the year. We called them out. We said, don't do it. They kept doing it. They started rowing the boat, really tempting fate uh, when they get doubles. And uh, now they're paying the price. The the, the Norse gods don't like shenanigans. They don't like it. Well, the Norse gods are all about serious. As a member of Norse nation, I can tell you cultural appropriation is a real thing. We don't appreciate that. I'm noting you. Yeah. And we have power. Uh, So they they should probably stop that. But I – for, for the Nick Senzel conversation, you mentioned hitting 290 with the highest slugging percentage in OPS on the team. He's got he's tied for second on the team in RBIs with 12. He's been probably their best bat over the last two or so weeks. My other question about him is, do you think they should just leave him at third base for a little while? I'm, I'm thinking that, but I'm trying to figure out what what's my move forward with, with, with Spencer Steer. 
I mean, is he your first baseman now? For right now, I think so. I guess that does at some point become a problem if you he want. You might want to catch a pickoff. You might want to catch a pickoff attempt. Uh, he's not the biggest guy over there. No, he's not. I love him as a first base target. But no, I, I, you know, maybe that's maybe there's something to do with that. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe he was thinking so much in the outfield or he was able to. He played so reckless. It, it's honestly, it's pretty hard to play reckless at third base, right? I mean, it, it yeah. is the hot corner for a reason. Stuff happens quick. Stuff gets on you quick. You know, in the outfield. If you're a really good athlete, which he is. You know, run around like chicken with his head chopped off, banging into things all the time. And maybe for this, this is the right place to keep him from getting hurt. Yeah, maybe. Or if nothing else, that's what he came up as. Yeah, that's sometimes that gives you a little mental trigger of some confidence of, hey, this is what I actually am. All these years of trying to switch positions for the team. And now they've got me back where I belong. That type of thing. Maybe who knows? Maybe that helps him. But I would just it seems like he feels pretty comfortable at third yes. base. He's played a lot of center field too, a little bit of right field, but mostly some third base when he's not been in center field and it, he looks comfortable. I, I think I just maybe try to leave him there for a little while and see what happens. Like you said, I mean, you're, it's not going to cost you anything this no, year. So correct. why not? If he can be a piece going forward for the next few years, that Great. that would be the worst thing in the world. Exactly. All right. Little college basketball conversation here. This is pretty generic, but just something I wanted to touch on real quick because a lot of people are talking about the transfer portal and NIL, especially this week with the Hunter Dickinson stuff going on as he just committed to Kansas, but really strong the whole country along with the narrative. And that's a, actually what you just said. It's kind of what I want to talk about. So I was listening to the Field of 68 podcast on Wednesday, and I heard Jeff Goodman say something interesting that I wanted to get your reaction to. They were talking about Caleb Love leaving North Carolina, and he and a couple of the other guys on the podcast mentioned that it might be addition by subtraction. And Goodman went on to say, I-, I hate to say that about a kid, but it's a kid that's also probably earning more money than you or me, GP, referring to Gary Parrish. Yep. So I feel a little bit differently about that now than I did a year or two ago. Uh, I just wanted to get your thought on that. Do you agree that it feels different to criticize college players or do you feel different talking about them in a critical way now because of NIL? Um, yeah, because they, they they really now are chasing the dollar, which is nothing wrong with that. But I think that makes you more of a professional than you were before. I mean, I was always one, Rick. I, I, again, I, I think name, image and likeness has been it is a good thing. I think in moderation, it would be a better thing. But that cat's out of the bag. Yeah. Um, I was one that never devalued a scholarship. I still think there's a lot of value in a scholarship, especially um really for anybody. I think there's a, there's a lot of value to a scholarship that we sometimes take for granted, but at the same time, these guys are now literally almost, they are professionals. They're getting paid to play above and beyond scholarship. Cause they're still, that's still part of the, it's not like they're getting their NIL money and saying, Hey, you got to pay your tuition and your books and your room and your board and all those things. You're getting your scholarship too. So yeah, I, I think that's probably fair game now, to be quite honest with you. I would agree. The thing that I have always felt, protected these players or should be protecting these players from over the top criticism and name calling and a lot of the stuff that really is probably pretty ridiculous and over the top that we're doing with sports anyways, but it's part of our culture and it's what we do. And it's at the professional level for certain. And a lot of the the pushback is these guys are getting paid tons of money to play this sport. And we're the ones who pay them by showing up and supporting them and buying their jerseys and all that. So it opens themselves up to a, a bit of criticism the thing that's always protected college players from that is they're out there for the love of your university. Yes. They're they're right. showing up and they're, you know, they're given all this time. They weren't getting paid to do it. And even if they were 
at the beginning, if they're just getting a little stipend or they're just getting a little NIL money, that's one thing. But like you said, now it's what Hunter Dickinson is doing. Where Hunter he's Dickinson making, literally chased the dollar. That's it's what he did. He chased the dollar. He he promoted a podcast while doing so. Led everyone on this wild goose chase and a big media tour over the last few weeks, where everyone's trying to get information on where he's going. Stringing out, and that's within his right. I'm all for him being allowed to do that and doing that if that's what he wants to do. Now. He has to deal with the criticism that's going to come from that when you make a big spectacle of yourself and you string people along and you play with a bunch of fans emotions, they're going to criticize you. They're going to call you names and you're getting a bunch of money now and chasing after this big opportunity to farther yourself professionally down the road. That's part of the territory now. You're no longer doing this because you want to play for State U and you love your university and oh, everyone should support you because of that. Once you guys start bouncing around to two or three different schools and you're trying to go to the highest bidder and you're making it all a big commercial for your social media brand, I'm kind of with Jeff Good. I like I, it feels differently to criticize a lot of these kids than it, or a lot of these grown men. Because that's the other thing. We always like to say they're kids when they're. 20, 21, 22, 23 years old. And I still think, look, a lot of these guys are going to make mistakes at that age. They deserve some empathy and some understanding because we all did that type of stuff at that age. But at the same time, they are adults. And now that they're making these grown up decisions about chasing money and going wherever they want in the NIL to the highest bidder or in the transfer portal to the highest bidder, they are going to open themselves up to be criticized the way essentially professionals are. And I think that's understandable. Well, if, if Hunter Dickinson fails at Kansas, and I don't think he will because I do think he's a really good college player. But if he fails at Kansas, let's say he has a, a bad game against Texas on a Tuesday night, right, where they needed him. And he goes for eight and six and does some stupid stuff. He's going to get criticism from the fan base. They're going to say, we're paying this guy this to do this. I think it's justified. Right, right. And and I think there is a difference between fans and them calling and all the stuff fans will do on social media and some of some of that gets pretty disgusting in general well, yeah i mean i'm not i'm not talking about over the top i'm just saying if you have a bad night in a big game you're gonna wonder why are we paying this guy this kind of money for sure and that's going to happen without a doubt but i even think to take it a step farther and go back to like goodman saying he feels a little bit differently saying about a guy like caleb love it's addition by subtraction i, I totally agree with them like i used to i would hold back on saying something that's pretty overtly negative like that, like saying a guy is addition by subtraction. I mean, that's not too bad, but you hesitate a lot of times when it comes to these college guys. I I agree with Jeff Goodman. I don't really feel that hesitation anymore when you're talking about a bunch of guys that are chasing maximum dollar amounts and bouncing around to two or three different schools throughout their careers. It's just, it's just different. Like you don't have that security blanket anymore of you're going out playing for your school and it's going to be your alma mater and you're going to come back and visit the school and be a part of that. And like there are guy type of feeling that came with all this stuff in the past. There's no longer that feeling. You're all mercenaries now, unfortunately. And that's yes, exactly that's part of what comes with this. I mean, literally, if you, if you don't have a roster anymore that's turned over five and adding five, you probably aren't doing it right. I mean, really, unfortunately, yeah. All right, real quick, let's talk about the Kentucky Derby as well. It can serve as our betting segment for this week's podcast. The Derby is this Saturday with a post time of 6.57 p.m. at Churchill Downs. And obviously, I, I want your picks, but first I need to know how much we're putting on that number nine horse, Skinny. Um, it, It's going to be a good chunk of change. I'm not going to lie. I, I, it's impossible for me not to. Not, I'm going to handicap it as well. And I like the horse on top of it. For those that don't know, the number nine horse is a horse called simply Skinner. 
20 to one on the morning line. He's actually being talked about in some, some vein where I don't know if I'll get the 20 to one, but I'll still get a nice price at it. Finished a really good third in the Santa Anita Derby. So that's what I'm excited about. It's not just the name that just sticks out. It's my name and I got to do it, right? It's, I mean, foolish not to. I can't give you a set amount. I will just say it'll be a pretty penny on it and I'll do it in a variety of ways. I'll probably put them on the top of a bunch of things and in, in, in exactas and trifectas and probably put them on the back end with some others because um, I'm not stupid. I'll always hedge in some pick threes and pick fours, but he's going to be a central theme to, to my wagering on Derby Day. I'll give myself some outs, but I, I can't not. I mean, I'm the idiot. I am the idiot that passed on Rich Strike, Rick Rory. Oh, as, my God. As, as, as well, you shouldn't have either, but I did. But I don't go by Rich. I, I realize that, but you're a Richard, though, right? Yeah, but I've not, but, I've always but, been Rick or Ricky. Right, but 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 see, that, le- that lesson taught me at 80 to 1, any form of my name in any way, shape, or form, like, <laughs> If Should I see be. the skin man come down the pike, I got to do it. I just <laughs> right. have to do it, man. I, it's just, it's moronic not to. I let an 80 to one opportunity go by with my name in it. That's true. I did an interview with Dick Gabriel of, of WLAP radio. He does stuff for those who maybe are Kentucky fans. He does a lot of stuff for, uh, for you on UK broadcast. And I just did that interview a little bit ago before we did this podcast that we were talking about the Derby and he kind of leaned where you are about the name and all that. And he said, well, stupid me years ago, Giacomo went off at 50 to one. He said, um, it's Italian. He goes, I'm Italian. Um, my father's name is Jack and Giacomo in Italian is Jack. And of course we all didn't bet on Giacomo that year. I said, yeah, you just, wow. those opportunities smack you in the face and they seem so obvious. You just, you can't pass it up. So to answer your question, yes, there will be a chunk of money placed on the number nine Skinner in that race. I, I'm thinking about taking everything that I would normally bet on a Kentucky Derby and just throwing it on Skinner across the board. I mean, doing this podcast, I feel like a horse named Skinner at 20 to one odds is the fate. The fate is too strong. I've just it's do way it. too strong. And again, me passing on rich strike. This feels like the, the, the betting gods have said, listen, idiot, we gave you a chance at 80 to one. You passed on that. Now we're giving you a chance at 20 to one. Sorry that the odds are depressed, my friend, but we're giving you a second chance at name betting. I'm a big handicapper. I enjoy the, the, the mental anguish of handicapping, um, if you will, the mental puzzle, but sometimes you just got to do what smacks you right in the face. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I've been, to, I've, your been actual to, I've, I've been to too many races, Rick, where I've done this great handicapping job. I've been at Keeneland. I, I almost, I swear to God, I almost cursed at a woman once where I lost a really good pick four. I ran second, third, fourth, and fifth to close out a pick four to price with, with pretty good price on the end. And the woman next to me bet two to show on the 40 to one shot that won. Look at me. I picked his name. I wanted to go. You know how much I lost that I could have won. you. So this time around, I'm just going to be that person that says I'm going with the name. Yeah, exactly. You'll be that ditzy. Yeah, exactly. Now. Uh, a couple others I do like. I like the Turfway Park winner from the, from the Jeff Ruby stake. Two fills at 12 to one. I'm having a hard time with Forte. I love the horse. I think he is the best of this class, but I don't like the three to one. I don't like the fact he has to come from so far back and coming so far back in a 24 field is a big, big ask in my opinion. Um, I'll probably put him under some stuff with, with my namesake, you know, second, third spots and trifectas, but I just, I don't like the value. I don't like the the running style. The other one I like is I like Angel of Empire at eight, at eight to one. Um, he'll be in it, and and I kind of like Mage at fifteen to one. So, I'm, I, I got a lot of opportunities to score if I can get Skinner on top of some of this stuff and and get me a get me a horse I handicap in in the middle of a trifecta and probably put the all key on the bottom and hope I get a long shot clunking up for third and look up and come up with a, a four figure five figure plus trifecta. That would be a hell of a way to end my Saturday. It really would. Instead, I'm all, I'll probably be sitting here with a, bur- with a bourbon in my hand, 
looking at my empty Twin Spires account going, I really was dumb enough to bet Skinner. What an idiot. That's exactly how I'm going to be feeling, but I, I will do so proudly. I mean, th- this I agree, is just I appreciate a, that. Yes, a I once in a lifetime opportunity, I feel like, for a better to, to be able to bet on your last name. I've tried to look up who they named this after, how it got named. I, I, I assume it was you in this podcast. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'd like to think that. But uh, no, no, there was a horse years ago named Uncle Les that was named for my Uncle Les, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what I, I, I just can't see a horse named Roaring ever running. Can you? No, never. Even. Even if I owned a horse, I would never <laughs> name it after my last. My last name sucks. Like I'm not, not that I'm not proud of my family or whatever, but it's a terrible last name. Like well, I sound like I have marbles in my mouth when I pronounce it, and everyone just brings up, "Oh, it rhymes with boring." Oh, Rick, boring. Ha <laughs> ha. It's like, yeah, well, you're great. You're making the same joke the four year olds did in preschool. Good work. Well, don't forget, I still get a lot of the oh, names Dick Skinner, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you you definitely got it worse in that regard. Well, you sure. zing me there, guy. Never heard that one. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, don't get don't get me wrong. I mean, you're not bothering me, but it's just like I feel bad for your mental capacity that you felt even after thinking it that, you know what? I should say this out loud, knowing everybody I've ever met has either thought it or said it to me. I mean, this could be named for former manager Joel Skinner, for all I know. Um, I I don't know. I'm trying to figure out where the name's coming from. I really like to just say it's named after this podcast. And I'm going with I'm going to run with it. Yeah, I'm going to run with it. All right, let's get into some ask any anything. All right. Uh, first one, sports related. I want to know how Skinny thinks the game of baseball should be played. Who would he rather have on his team? In parentheses, advanced stats are very similar. Kyle Schwarber or Tony Gwynn? Putting the yeah. ball in play or all or nothing with some walks? Yeah, I'm a, I am I know what the, the advanced metrics will probably show that it's Kyle Schwarber, but I, I'm Tony Gwynn all the way. I'm still a big, I still think there's a value to be to putting the ball in play. I am a big you don't have to give yourself up, but I'm a big, if you can advance a guy to third base with less than two outs guy, I I like that guy, that, that guy, you're going to get some, some runs manufactured. I still think that, that, that the metrics and I've gone to this, the metrics need to do something for guys who ground into double plays. Like you get a negative total base for that. Um, I'd also like a metric that, that factors in stolen bases that if you steal a base that adds to your total base total, if you get caught, it's a negative and I do wonder at that point what happens to OPS, right? Because slugging percentage is based on total bases. Well, me stealing second, did I not just add a base or not? Yeah. By the way, that's been one great thing about this baseball season. Yes, it is. I love that stolen bases are me back. Too. That really has added something. Yeah, me too. And I didn't want to do the whole thing because like everyone the first week of baseball was like, oh, the, the pitch clock is so great. It's revolution. Like everyone was just over the top about it. But after watching now two months of the season, I really like the pitch clock. I, I told you, I thought everybody would come around to it. It just got to the point of after everybody got used to the timing mechanism of it, you just don't notice it anymore. You don't notice it. But I, but at the same time, it really does. When you're watching on TV, yes, make it like uh, just a quicker pace. Like it feels like a pitch is always coming. A pitch is always coming. There's not the the constant throws over to first anymore and the the breaks in between. It's just like. Really, when you turn and you look at your tweet deck on your computer screen or something for a few seconds, it's like, damn, I missed three pitches. Right. Like, wow. You know, so, I mean, I, I do think it has, has really changed the game for the better. Uh, all right. This I assume this came from that Field of 68 podcast on Wednesday, too, because they were talking about this on there. What are the chances Kenny Payne gets to year three at Louisville? I think slim and none. I'm with you. And they were, you know, it was like Goodman, Borzello, Gary Parrish, uh, Matt Norlander. 
and Rob Doster all talking about this. They they did like a crossover podcast between CBS and the field of 68. And all of them were 40% or better. I, I just, I don't think that's even close to that. I would start it like, I thought the highest would have been 30% maybe. Like a I, one in three chance that he gets a third year. I say, does he have any dudes at all coming in? No, not really. And, and listen, I don't think Yell Ellis was a great player, but he was clearly their best player, clearly, and he's gone. Yes. Ooh, like it, it, it. But here's the the bigger thing is they were so embarrassingly bad last year that I think this goes way beyond just having talent. Like their talent wasn't as bad as their record was last year. So I think it's a like a all systems failure situation here. I don't think he can probably coach. I don't think he and his staff understood how to like organize a team and get them together and get them on the same page. And they're also not doing well enough in recruiting. They, they It seems like they keep swinging well, for these home run gets and passing on like some of these mid-tier guys that would really help them. And then they end up getting none of the above, well, and they just that, that, that was the that that's the yin and the yang of hiring the pennies and the Jerry Stackhouses and the Kenny Paynes, right? Now Jerry, to his credit, has done okay. Penny's done better than I thought, but but Penny's got high level guys. So the yin and the yang is I'm taking a guy who really hasn't been a head coach, um, but I think can get talent and will work around the head coach, and he can learn on the job, and he can get a veteran assistant on the bench to help him. Uh, Juwan Howard kind of fits that mold a little bit too. Um, and, and those can, can work out, but, but Kenny's not getting the guys. He hasn't run a program. He's been a part of programs. There's a big difference between being a part of and running. And that just seems like it's an epic failure if he can't get guys. And it has been, and it feels like it's going to continue to be. So you want to continue to beat your head against the wall without or get out from under it after this next year. Well, and there's no chance Louisville fans are going to sit through New. two years that are anything similar to the one they had last year and not move on him. I mean, they, they, last year was so bad that I'd say there's a good chance he doesn't even make it through the second year. Yeah. I mean, Louisville's never been a blue blood, but Louisville's just the, like the line below blue blood and they're a disaster. I mean, Chris Mack had them competitive. Yes. And it was like, got, things got so bad. He had to just quit in the middle of the year. You think they're getting th- to a year three no. of what Kenny Payne's been? I mean, again, he may be better this year. It's too early to fire him just yet. But in a lot of ways, I don't think it is. I mean, the, the last year was that bad that I just can't see any way in which they're a tournament team this year. And if they're not a tournament team this year, it's hard for me to imagine Louisville sticking with them unless it's like they get off to a disaster start. And then all of a sudden they just they really start turning around midway through the season well, and, and go on a run or something. Their, their improvement could be eight or ten wins, and that ain't much. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like they could be significantly better than last year, but if they win like 12 games or 14 games. Yeah, that's, that's that ain't going to be close to enough. No, correct. All right. When shopping at a bookstore, do you read the title and back cover of the book before deciding to purchase, or do you crack the book open and read a portion of a chapter before deciding to purchase the book? Skinny. Um. See, I'm not an impulse book guy. I usually I'm a I'm a bio, I'm a big biography guy. So usually if I'm going in, I'm going full in on on that book because I want to read the biography. So that's a great question because I've done both with books and I don't know if it swayed me one way or the other. Usually if I'm going to buy a book, I'm buying it for a specific story I want to read on a biography or history. One of those two things. Yeah, I'm mostly Kindle now in in terms of if I'm buying books. So it's not, I don't really do any of either. And at the same, either place, whether I'm 
in a physical bookstore or buy it on Kindle, I almost buy every book off of recommendations now. I can't think of the last time I bought a book where I was like just browsing, trying to find one. Like I, I hear about so many from either friends that read one or someone talk about it on a podcast where I'm like, oh, I, I need to check that out. I'm constantly just reloading and, and buying more than I can even read through just off of recommendations to where it's never like I'm trying to to browse and look for one that, you know. Our, our friend Sheila Gray gave me a, a book um, when I was in last week doing a, a morning TV segment because she was interviewing the author. It's the it's the Joe Burrow book from from Bulldog to Bengal. It's oh, actually yeah. pretty good. It's actually pretty good. Really? Yeah. I might have to check that one out. I've enjoyed it. Uh, how how does Skinny feel about the housing market? Well, I'm I'm not in it at the moment. I'm 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 close to paying off of, off the mortgage of my house, so I'm still there. Um, I'm just kind of riding it out until hopefully it gets hot again, and I get a good piece of change for the house I'm currently in, and then I can downsize to live in a one room shack in Ludlow. That's my goal. That's there really you go. my goal. Um, I know when my daughter, dream. my daughter, yeah, my daughter and her husband were were very much in it two years ago. Um, and I mean, they, I felt for them at the time because they, they put a bid in on like two or three places. They were constantly looking, they constantly had a, had places they liked. And, um, every time they, the, the bid didn't come through or whatever. And they finally did find a nice house in the neighborhood that you and I grew up in, in Crestview Hills. So they're, that I like, I like where they are. They like where they are, but man, when they were going through that, I was like, holy cow, I'm glad I'm not having to deal with this crap. Yeah. We're, we're probably going to be waiting another year or two, at least before we're, we're well, moving, but and, it's and I feel lucky rough. that we got we got in at a time where the where the interest rates were very very reasonable too, and we we, we refinanced mm. at a point in time where they were very where they got even more reasonable for us. Yeah, wish that were the case now. I know it. Is Skinny a fan of any of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees for 2023? I haven't seen the class, so I, I got them for run, you. Run, run them by me, and I can tell you. Yes. All right, we'll go one by one. You can say yes or no. Kate Bush. Uh no, not a big fan. Cheryl Crow. Love Cheryl Crow in many ways. Love Cheryl Crow, the singer, um, and pretty nice to look at Cheryl Crow. I'm a big, big Cheryl Crow fan. Missy Elliott. like Missy Elliott a lot. I, 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 I like Missy Elliott a lot, too. I don't know if she feels Hall of Fame worthy to me. I don't know, man. I, I, I I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm, I'm fine. But also, I don't understand the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It makes zero sense well, to me. Technically, Missy Elliott's not a rock and roll genre right? at all, which I mean, no, I mean, most of this stuff isn't. A lot so of I don't them, even yeah. know. Yeah, a chunk of them are. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It, it, it never makes any sense to me, but whatever. Uh, George Michael. Isn't he the sports machine guy? <laughs> no, I used to watch that show as a kid. Did you, were you? You never were old enough to watch that, were you? Oh, yeah. It was like late really? night on. Yeah, it was on, yeah. it was on Channel 5, at, like after the late sports and the yeah. sports show. It was on my, like midnight. George Michael's sports machine. My Great mom show. worked third shift at uh, five seasons. It used to be four seasons yep. over there. She worked the overnight. So I would try to stay up for her to get home okay. all the time. Okay. So my dad would pass out at like 10 PM and I'd just be up watching the sports machine at like 1 AM. George Michael in his era was iconic, but it was, I don't know. I, I, I would say yes. Cause he was iconic for a period of time. I'm not a fan of George Michael per se, but I, I, I guess I'd say, yeah. By the way, his name was George Michael sports machine. Guy. It was, I was right. no, you got, you got yeah. that right. I didn't, I didn't say you were wrong, but that's okay. not the George Michael we're talking about. Yeah. I used yeah, to yeah. watch the, that, the George Michael show. He yeah. pushed the button. He pushed that giant button and go, let's oh, yeah. go to the videotape. Shout out to George Michael and the sports machine. Both. What about Willie Nelson skinny? Love Willie Nelson. Love again, Willie. I, again, I, I would classify Willie certainly as far more country than rock and roll, but he's got kind of a rockabilly to him. All right. You talk about iconic that, 
that dude is is the is the he is the walking you better smoke cannabis every day of your life to live to a long age it's probably not the right thing to do but that dude that dude may never die he makes you think it might be uh also like how is he not already in that's a good point although that doesn't again, make any sense again you don't class willie's willie's country man well sure but uh, again none of this has anything to do with I'm rock and roll you. i mean yeah, i'm noting you rage against the machine skinny I like Rage Against the Machine, believe it or not. I don't know if I classify them as Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, maybe some others might. I'm going to say no. Yeah, I don't I do like Rage Against the Machine, though. I don't care for them, but I, I would say they are probably Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, the Spinners? Oh, Spinners for sure. How are they not in? I don't know. Big oversight on the Rock and yes, Roll Hall of Fame committee. For sure. Yeah. DJ Cool Herc. That's what I got to be frank. I don't know DJ Cool Herc's work. I don't know DJ Cool Herc's work either. Okay, there we go. You and I, neither one of us know. Is this like, is this, maybe it's, is it, is he alive? Is this like a post-mortem, like tap on the head to go, hey, dude did some things. I don't, I don't know his work. Uh, Developed the style that was the blueprint for hip hop music. Was he in the Daz band? Was he in the funk, funk, the, the he, funkadelics? He is still alive. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing any like, a track list that did 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 he did he write or was he just famous for for scratching records in the day? I don't know. I mean, the, the other other names that they're comparing him to all make sense, like Grandmaster Flash, and sure. I mean, yep. yeah, like so. I mean, I, I assume he's just in that era of uh, okay. early yeah. rap that we probably would recognize but don't realize is him. Nope. Yeah, don't recall Mister Herc's work. I do not. Uh, shout out to Mister Herc, though. I hope he has a yep. good Hall of and all the little Herc's running around wherever they are. Yes, uh, Link Ray. Don't know Link either. Me neither. Uh, Shaka Khan. Oh, Shaka Khan, yes, absolutely. Iconic for, for her era. Uh, this might be embarrassing because I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his last name, but Bernie Toppin? Bernie Toppin, yeah. That's, he was he composed music with Elton John. Yes, absolutely. Al Cooper? Don't know Al either. How the hell big How big is this freaking class? It's huge. Don Cornelius is the last name. Oh, without question, man. Ain't nothing like Soul Train with Don Cornelius now. Come on. <laughs> That 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 was my show in the day. Show. Everybody watched Don Cornelius. The Soul Train. And he had that great voice, Don Cornelius, coming at you with the Soul Train dancers. Yeah. Uh, love me some Don Cornelius. Yeah, Don Cornelius, no question. What an absurd show. It's great. <laughs> it's incredible like to think about. The dance-off was my favorite part every week. Yeah, I mean, think about that being on TV right now. If you were oh. just to click on and see people doing like a, what, a Congo line, it was just like a Dance offline, I guess yes, you'd call it. Exactly what and they don't they only got like 10 seconds of airtime doing their dance down the little <laughs> runway that they would go, and then they'd peel off and here come the next two down the line. Oh what great a, stuff. What a time. What a time. All right, we'll end it with this one from our buddy Dan. He says, Is it acceptable to bring outside food, not a snack, but a legitimate meal you bought before boarding, onto a plane to eat? It's acceptable, yes, because they don't serve you food any longer on the plane. So I'm going to say yes. I just just don't have it be something that's going to stink up the area that you're in and really piss off the people around you. Um, yes, to answer your question, yes, it's acceptable. I don't do it myself. Usually I will try to eat before I get on board if I'm going to eat. But I do understand if you're on a long flight and they're not serving food on that flight, um, you, if you're hungry, I don't want to buy their, their $9 little thing of Pringles on the plane. I'd rather bring something on myself. Yeah, I, I get it. Sometimes you're in that situation, but I don't like it. I mean, I definitely would never do it. And what, really, what if, I don't want to be if, sitting next to you if you're doing it. 
Well, that's the thing. But what if it's a row? Let's just say it's 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 you and a wife and your child. And it's the three of you in in the same row. That's that- not as bad. Yeah, okay. I mean, okay. but I, I'm still not. But if doing I'm in the middle myself. seat, yeah. If I'm in the middle seat with somebody on either side of me, which I try to avoid the middle seat like the plague, and I usually am very good at doing that. Yeah, I can't all of a sudden bring out my my Panera sandwich. It's got all kinds of onion smell on it. That that's not fair. Yeah, just in general, it's like you got to have your arms up and your elbows out a little bit while you're eating. Like everything, it's just like it's not a place to be eating if you're sandwiched in between people. If if you're with your family and like, you know, you got something for your kid, that's different. But like, I'm not eating myself on a plane. I'm an adult. I can wait six or seven hours and eat later if I have to. I can't not drink, though. I've got to I've got (laughs) to order a cocktail or two. (laughs) I'm not a big drink on the plane guy. I know that's everyone loves doing that. I just uh, I mean, I don't know if it's the prices. I mean, I do like an airport beer, but once I'm on the plane, I just don't really that doesn't do much for me. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a big Bloody Mary on the airplane guy. It just is, you can sip it. It's relaxing. Nobody nobody's going to call you for the two hours you're on the flight, which is always a fun time for me where it's like that I is true. unwind for just a couple of hours here. Sit and chill. I got my book or my magazine or I got the little entertainment thing in front of me and I'll sip a cocktail while I do that. And it's perfect. Speaking of like weird food situations or protocols, I had a I have a story that I wanted to get your take on. I was going into my UDF down in Wilder the other day. Got out. And uh, <laughs> so as I'm walking in, a guy goes to like sort of open the door for me and hold it. And uh, as he's holding it, I'm like, there's there's a couple of us going in. And I'm the last one in. And as he's holding it, I'm walking past him and he drops. He had a, a drink and a donut in like the little uh, sleep uh, yep, napkin, but that little, you know, yeah, paper. The- Wax paper. Waxy paper. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got the donut in that waxy paper and he fumbles the donut, drops it right there on the sidewalk. Right. So I'm thinking, oh, man, he's got a five second rule this thing. Hurry up, pick it up and eat it. So he doesn't do that. He picks it up, throws it away. I go in. I go to get my Coke Zero in the back by the fountain. He comes back in. The donuts are next to the Coke Zero. I see this dude give a quick little look both ways, open it up, grab himself another donut out there, walk right out. (laughs) And I'm like. Oh, well, on one hand, this guy just stole a donut. On the other hand, he did just lose his while well, he's like, what d- do you see that as stealing or what's the call there? Is that guy cool? Is it OK? I mean, he checked both ways before he did it. So he obviously knew what he was doing was basically stealing, I think. Yeah. But I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Was yeah, that that's, like the wrong that's, thing? that's that's clearly stealing. I, I, I would have thought far more of him than he just picking it up and eating it. I mean, that that to me doesn't bother me. I mean, I've we've probably eaten more dirty stuff than we even want to have knowledge of and the fact this barely hit the ground i i think i'd pick it up and eat it yeah he stole but uh, although it's, it's, i, I kind of liked his, his uh just confidence of walking right back in grabbing one out and walking and i'm like well they just saw him pay for one so they're probably not thinking much of it to see him walk back out with one i don't know yeah the, the, the one that's always interesting is i i wonder how many bags of ice get stolen every year yeah they're always outside right Great they're always point. unlocked that and like the flowers that they set out in front of yes. stores and stuff yeah. like that where yeah, yeah it's just like you know, it's all honor system basically at that point. I mean, I guess yes. if someone was out there and saw you, they'd tell you not to do it. But I mean, when do, when are they ever out there? Things got to be going pretty bad for you. Bad for you if you're stealing a bag of ice, though. Yeah, I mean, it's what a dollar seventy nine. Dollar ninety nine. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hopefully you can survive that. Yeah. Which, by the way, UDF has great ice too. Yes, they do Bagged from the fountain. Ice. Very much so. No yeah. question. I, I'm I'm with you on that. Very much so. Yep. All right, Rick, thanks very much. We will be back next week to talk more sports and more nonsensical things like these questions that I love so much. Thanks for the questions. Keep them coming. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope re-edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.